Aloha, y'all. This is Rick Crawford, your host of The Sustainable Angler, and uh, really excited about this year, 2022. Got some great guests lined up, um, so stay tuned for that. And just kind of wanted to, to mention one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently is, you know, we, we face a lot of global uh, problems that are these huge huge problems like biodiversity loss and climate change and um, these are things that are are massive systemic challenges and and problems and how do we face them and how do we be part of the solution and I sort of keep coming back to thinking about well I think maybe it could start with what can we do in our own community to make an impact? And and even at the individual level, what, what can we do to be a better person and a, or a better company and a better uh, steward and, and, and member of the community? And so I think that's uh, something that has just been popping up in my mind recently, which is why I'm excited to Uh, get this season of the Sustainable Angler kicked off with Brian Cordell, the executive director of the Sustainability Institute, uh, which is a a local nonprofit here in Charleston, South Carolina. And we dive into everything from some of the environmental challenges that uh, we face here in Charleston, like uh, sea level rise and development and stormwater runoff, Um, and how Sustainability Institute is helping to solve some of these problems um, through their programs. They have a uh, a green building certification called Charleston Rises. Uh, They do weatherization projects uh, for low-income families, which help them to uh, not only reduce their energy bills, but also helps them to reduce their carbon footprint and also the amazing work that they do through their Environmental Conservation Corps, which is through AmeriCorps. And they help, uh, they recruit at-risk and um, young people ages 18 to 24, uh, give them some training and uh, like through through things like uh, energy efficiency and, and things like that and help them to make a positive impact in our community while getting some valuable um, some valuable training and, 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 and work skills. So um, again, uh, really excited about this interview. I hope y'all enjoy and uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies a sustainable business consultancy whose vision is to protect what we love and leave behind a socially just, economically inclusive, and environmentally restorative planet for the benefit of future generations. Measure and improve your sustainability performance with Emerger Strategies. To learn more, visit www.emergerstrategies.com. Thanks for listening to Sustainable Angler, um, first episode of 2022. And today I have uh, Brian Cordell from the Sustainability Institute here in Charleston, South Carolina. 
Uh, thanks for uh, joining the, the podcast today. Hey, Rick, it's my pleasure. I'm a uh, avid listener to your podcast and a, and a big fan of what you do. So well, pleasure to I, be here. I, I, I appreciate the kind words and, and thanks for listening. Um, there's literally tens of people that listen to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, that's, so, so Brian, um, I guess a, a little context for everyone that, that is listening is, you know, I, I moved to Charleston, I guess it's like eight years ago, probably. And the Sustainability Institute was one of the first organizations that I was trying to get plugged into like the sustainability scene, I guess, if you will, um, in Charleston. And so y'all, y'all have been around for a long time, but I was wondering if y'all, or if you could provide a little bit of background and history um, we call it SI, but Sustainability Institute um, here, here in Charleston. Yeah, absolutely. And let me just say, I, you know, I obviously love what we do at the Sustainability Institute, but there are so many good environmental organizations focused on conservation and, and sustainability in, in Charleston. So we um, are really proud to be sort of a network of organizations that, that do this work. And uh, we're just happy that uh, people get involved with with any one of us, um, but yeah, our so our organization is about uh, two decades old. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, um, and our mission is to empower our region's most vulnerable communities to achieve housing security, equity, and climate resilience. Um, and so we come at sustainability from a few different angles. You know, a lot of our work over the years has been uh, focused on um, sort of the urban uh, planning side of things. So we've done a lot of climate action, uh, greenhouse gas reduction plans uh, for local communities and and municipalities. So we've been really engaged in in that work over the years. Uh, We do a lot of workforce training um, and for that, we're specifically have been focused on uh, the energy efficiency industry and training people to really get plugged into conservation jobs that are focused on uh, energy conservation. And we'll, I know we'll touch later on uh, about our AmeriCorps program that's uh, all around uh, that those goals. Yep. Um, and we also operate a housing weatherization program that's been going on for about 12 years. So that's a big part of our business. Um, and recently we've started doing uh, land conservation activities. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a whole different set of uh, activities that we do around conservation that take place in the outdoor environment. Yeah, no, that, that that's super cool, and 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 I and I definitely want to dive deep, deeper, and we will um, continue to, or, or we will a little bit later in the conversation. But one one of the things that I was kind of thinking about is, as you were saying this, that that I always found um, unique about the Sustainability Institute um, 
that I really love about it is, 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 um, the fact that you're, you're helping, um, in some cases, low income families to, um, conserve energy and the, the sort of the bonus and the added benefit is that's helping everyone reduce their carbon footprint. So I I know that we'll, we'll dive deeper into that, but that, that leads me to what I wanted to say next, which is, you know, what, what are, you know, from, from your perspective, I mean, you've been in Charles, I've been here eight years. So you've been here, I know you've been here longer than I have. I mean, what, what have you seen in terms of the impacts of, of climate change since you've been a Charlestonian, I guess? Yeah. Wow. There's, you know, there's so many of them. It's kind of like, where do you start? But, yeah, you know, you mentioned a lot of our work has been focused on the, the built environment and we deal specifically with the challenge of, of, of what families face in their homes related to, you know, high energy bills and um, how that's just economically debil- debilitating for particularly our, our low income families. And, you know, one of the things that I've seen uh, steadily change over the last two decades here in our area is a you know dramatic increase in energy bills, energy costs for families. Um, and so, you know, that's a big priority for us is helping families with that. And of course, there is a, uh, as you mentioned, a, a, a big um, environmental, positive environmental impact by, by doing that work too. Um, so I would say there's a lot of things on the side of the built environment that, that conditions that we've seen change over the years, particularly with, you know, development on the increase and, um, and, and, and those issues, but, you know, on the side of the natural environment, um, certainly flooding, um, is, you know, one of the biggest topics here in Charleston, it's written about daily in the papers, uh, the number of tidal floods, uh, that we see increasing on a yearly basis is absolutely astonishing. Um, doesn't matter what part of Charleston or the low country, you know, you live in, it's something that you deal with on a practically everyday um, basis. And so, you know, certainly we've been watching that um, increase, but alongside that, you know, you've got habitat loss, um, you know, sea levels are rising, flooding is increasing or losing habitat while that happens. Um, certainly there's all kinds of problems that are associated with the stormwater runoff that's um, happening from the, the flooding and the storms that, that we see taking place. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, a lot of different changes in our natural environment that we experience here in the low country that directly relate to um, all kinds of different climate impacts. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that, that I like, well, I won't say that I, <laughs> that I like habitat loss, what, what, but uh, what, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I like everything that I read is so easy to get caught up. And like, I think like the context of, Hey, there's habitat loss happening in the Amazon rainforest and not think about, hey, well, what's happening in my backyard? Like, so what is the impact of this new development that's being put in? And 
Um, how is that going to impact biodiversity where we live? And what is, is the, you know, okay, well, if, if they're going to put in a new development, what is that stormwater runoff? You know, how is that going to affect flooding and, and, and everything else? So that's a, um, a, a good reminder to, you know, hey, it, to not just think about these these global scale problems. This is, this is likely due to population happening in, in anywhere that anyone lives, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you hit that right on the spot. And you know, here in the low countries, our wetlands are absolute treasures that um, provide really important ecological benefits, um, including habitat. Um, and you know, we're losing, uh, you know, wetland. Um, wetlands at an astonishing rate. Um, and that's a real big, a real big problem. And, and some of that is a, you know, a result of sea level rise and climate change. Um, but, but you also hit the nail on the head when you said that one of the challenges that we're dealing with is just uh, overall population increase and the uh, increase in development that's associated with that. And, you know, as we build more homes, we put more cars on the road, all these stressors on our built environment, there is a uh, direct negative impact to our natural environment that, that occurs along that process. Yeah. Um, and look, and, and kind of, so, so talking about the, the built environment, this, this is really cool. It is so can you can you tell me more like talking about the built environment can you tell me more about charleston rises and what what is uh what is it what is specific to it about the low country how is it helping to to solve some of these problems that we're talking about yeah well so here in charleston it's you know really important as we think to the future and how do we reduce um carbon emissions citywide? Uh, how do we build more buildings that are energy and water efficient and, you know, sustainable and in and, and all the right ways? Um, it, it's important that we do that to some type of standard and that we have a, a guidepost associated with that. And, you know, back in 2013, 14, when we first came up with this vision for the Charleston Rises program, there had been very little market penetration from the other green building uh, programs and standards that are popular across the country uh, here in South Carolina. And there's a lot of different reasons for why that was happening. You know, some of the typical ones that you hear of just perceived uh, cost increases when you uh, build to those standards um, to, you know, worrying about headaches that are uh, associated with the construction documentation. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that wasn't happening. But what we wanted to do with our program was create a simplified, streamlined program that really focused on creating a high-performing building. And for us, high-performance meant at least 30% more energy and water efficient beyond code. And so, you know, our vision was as if when we do new construction 
here in Charleston, if it can all be high performing and we can hit those targets, um, then we're really making a, a significant uh, difference. And we're, you know, um, really able to reduce those uh, carbon emissions uh, that are associated with the built environment. Yeah, yeah, and 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 can, can you can you also talk about you just mentioned it, but like I sort I was sort of in the the, the green building world uh, uh, on a, on a little bit of a in a different way working for a, a software company at one point in time, but one of the the challenges that 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 every or that you hear anyway, right? Um, from general contractors and things are that, hey, you know, this this is really difficult to achieve or this paperwork is 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 complex and and can 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 you uh, uh, elaborate on on some of those challenges that they face and maybe even what are you know how is Charleston Rises helping them overcome some of that? Yeah, I mean there's there's a lot of uh, challenges throughout the process of designing and building a green building um, that are just really hard for uh, the design teams and contractors to deal with. And a lot of the green building programs are point-based. You know, there's different categories for, for, for different things that you might be pursuing. Um, and so a lot of what often happens is these projects start chasing points yeah. Um, but you don't have a local reviewer. Uh, you know, you don't have like an on the ground person that's interacting with your team and design and construction is a iterative process. Right. And so, you know, part of our vision with our program was, uh, we don't want this to be a, just about a checklist. Um, we also don't want to make it such a headache, uh, for the people that, that are pursuing it, um, that it just becomes, you know, complex to a point that it doesn't get done and it turns people off. And so from the get-go, our vision was we really need to simplify the process as much as possible. And we also need to be, you know, provide the local on-the-ground expertise that you can access constantly and interact with on the fly. And so, you know, that's what we do. We use a really cool software called a Green Badger. Um, it's a company that's based out in Savannah that does all the construction document. It, it's a platform by which you do all the construction documentation and it's super slick and easy to use. Um, the whole, you know, design and construction team have real time access to it. You don't have to do anything that's, that's not uh, in the system. Um, and so we train the teams how to use that and, and the whole process is done in the screen badger uh, software. And then we, you know, unlike most of the programs that you find around the country, we actually go out on site and do inspections, like we do an insulation inspection. And, um, you know, the reason that we do that is it allows us to put eyes on the project and, and really make sure that we're, you know, catching things as they happen. And the result, hopefully, is that it's a better constructed uh, building. Um, and so it's just a, a, a much more intimate relationship than what most green building projects have with um, their certification programs. Yeah, and I can and, and I can speak to that having having 
some, some experience with lead and, and, and some others green gloves and things like that as for, for anyone listening that, you know, has, has, doesn't know anything about green building, the, the, the process to get the building certified you through, depending on the, the rating program, there's different categories, you know, energy or, uh, location and, and things like this, number of different types of, of, of categories, you earn points. Um, and then you have to provide supporting documentation. The, the, the challenge with that is that it's some of the supporting documentation can be difficult to find. And to your point with on-site inspection, like what happens after, like, what if they put up all the, the drywall and forgot to do an inspection for something in the wall? Like they'd have to, oh, well, we don't have documentation of that. We're going to have to rip the drywall open to take another picture of it. Like, it's just not, it's not right. the best design system for something related to sustainability. Um, so that's really cool that y'all are using the efficiencies of a, of a software technology combined with, hey, we're, we know the low country, we're here and we're going to come by and make sure everything looks good from our standpoint so that, you know, at the end of the day, the performance is the performance of the building. You know, it's not about, like you said, it's not about the points. It's about, are we conserving water? Are we conserving energy? And how is that positively impacting the uh, uh, new construction and uh, here in the low country? Yeah. And, and you know, the last thing I'll, I'll say about that, just on that note is uh, we've designed our program with flexibility in mind. Um, we want these buildings, you know, the output to be a 30% more energy and water conserving building over code. And the way that you get there, we have a framework, you know, we have certain actions, required actions, and then some optional actions that will help you get there. But we're also very flexible. And we understand that not every building uh, functions the same way, is occupied the same way, performs the same way. And so from our perspective, there has to be a certain amount of flexibility in terms of how you get there. And so, you know, we have a, we have a, a pretty, uh, you know, rigorous uh, standard, um, but I think we have the right amount of flexibility that really hopefully allows a lot more buildings and building types to, uh, you know, use this approach. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's super cool. And, and for, for, I don't, I don't know, for, for, for anyone listening to this, to, you know, just to put this in context of sort of why, at least in my opinion, you know, obviously there's climate change, right? So for reducing energy usage, we're, uh, we're reducing our footprint essentially. So, so better for the climate, but one of the big things I think that often gets overlooked um, maybe not in the American West, but I think maybe here um, is water use, you know? And so just being able to conserve 30% more water above code is a, is a, is a huge win. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. And, you know, some of the other things that we touch on are, you know, locally sourced materials. We think that's really important because there's, um, you know, so many environmental impacts and waste that's associated with, you know, where we get our materials from. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we want those to be as close to the site as possible. You know, we want them to, to be healthy. We really care about occupant um, health 
in these buildings. And so we look at, you know, low VOC, paint sealants, adhesives, uh, furniture. Um, so, you know, th there's a number of different things that we care about um, in reference, you know, as it relates to a high performing building. Well, what, and, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, you, you mentioned some of the other programs and, um, you know, from our perspective, uh, you know, going through any green building certification program is good. And a lot of these programs complement each other. Um, I don't I'm trying to remember what the saying is, uh, uh, a, a rising sea lifts all boats or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, something like something like that. And, and so, you know, I'm, um, you can use our program and also use lead. We've created like a dual path. Um, so you can get certified under both programs and, um, you know, what's just really important is that, uh, buildings are being certified, buildings are being commissioned. Um, and, uh, you know, we're creating more high-performing buildings in our community. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and, 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 and as part of, so just, just consider, you know, the impact it would have if every building was say Charleston rises certified. Like, I mean, that was 30% more energy efficient that conserved 30% more water that had healthier materials that had, you know, local materials, you know, I mean, so to, 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 to elaborate on that just just slightly, it's okay. Well, if I if I bought, uh, you know, I'm, this is completely off the cuff, but let's you know, I, I bought uh, a countertop that was manufactured in you know I don't know South Africa. Well, consider the the carbon footprint of that countertop compared to what if there was one that was sourced in South Carolina that ca came from South Carolina. Just the transportation footprint alone uh, makes that a more sustainable material, and that's putting money in the local economy, um, which is, you know, there's just all these benefits to green building, and and, and it's, uh, I feel like it's because for some, you know, I guess these some types of certifications may be a little bit more challenging or, or they're different, but the at the end of the day, the, the goal is the same, right? We, we need um, more sustainable and high performance buildings um, so that we can address climate change while also develop in, a, in the right way. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Rick. Um, all right, so, so on the note of, of some of these other uh, programs that the Sustainability Institute has, um, how are some of these additional programs working to um, help solve some of the, 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 the climate change problems, but just other, you know, uh, issues that we're facing here in Charleston. Yeah, well, you know, since we were uh, talking about the built environment, I guess I'll just mention our work, uh, the weatherization work that we do, um, because one of the big challenges that we have here in the low country is an older housing stock. And we have so many, um, homes that were constructed pre-1980, you know, when we first, when energy codes were first um, introduced and we have so many historic homes. And so we have a really old and inefficient uh, building stock. And 
you know, from a, a equity perspective, um, the our low income families that you know are in economically disadvantaged, underserved communities. You know, this is one of their biggest challenges. Uh, their you know energy bills uh, often represent one of their uh, you know highest monthly uh, household expenses. Um, we see families paying. 350 to 550 a month or, or more just to heat and cool their homes. And, you know, oh, for yeah. a low income family, that's, that's just a terrible uh, burden. Um, and we also know that, you know, there's uh, part of the equity issue is that our uh, low income residents uh, in our black households um, spend more of their household family income um, than higher income and white households. And, you know, that's, that's a real problem. In fact, you know, low-income households pay somewhere around 7% of their household income on utilities, whereas higher-income households pay, uh, you know, just over 2%. So it's like a threefold increase. Um, the, you know, median energy burden for Black households is 43% higher than uh, than for white households. Um, and so these are some real equity problems uh, in our community. And so we, we have a weatherization program that we've been uh, operating for 12 years. Uh, we go in, we try to seal these homes up in the right way um, and, and perform all kinds of upgrades inside that help families immediately reduce their energy bills. And then alongside that, we do a lot of training, a lot of education and training um, of families to teach them about all the simple, no and low cost things that they can do to further reduce their energy bills. And so, you know, it's all about empowering families to start taking control over these, over these issues. And then hopefully improving um, the efficiency of these homes over time. Uh, and all of the, you know, repairs, upgrades that we make in these homes are designed to last, you know, a generation or more. Um, so we're really trying to help sustain, uh, the, you know, the durability of these homes uh, across generations. And that's awesome. And, and that, I mean, that's pretty wild, too. I mean, some of those stats about, you know, when you consider it being that much of your your income just because house you live in may be older and hasn't been weatherized, but I, I I was wondering if you could elaborate on what goes into to weatherizing a of a home. What 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 does it take to do that? What what do y'all go in and do? I, you and I know what that means, but I, I'm I'm wondering if some people understand what what all that entails. Yeah, well, you know, it can look like different things in different regions across our, our country, but here in our, you know, warm and humid environment, there's a um, series of about six or seven things that we typically do in, in just about every home. Uh, one is we go in and we uh, insulate attics and crawl spaces. And one of the things that astonishingly we find is that many of the homes we go into have no insulation at all. And so, you know, insulating homes is, is really important. Um, but one of the things that, you know, every home needs 
is to have its, uh, you know, building envelope sealed up to reduce air infiltration. Um, what we don't want to see is that, you know, people are paying a lot of money to heat and cool their homes and that's all seeping to the outside because they just have such a leaky house. And that's a, a, a really big cause of high energy bu uh, bills in our, in our region. So sealing up that house by caulking, weather stripping, spray foaming it, uh, you know, there's a series of measures that we'll do to tighten up the home. Um, so we spend a lot of time doing that. Uh, we do complete lighting change out. So we install, you know, LED bulbs throughout. Um, we install programmable thermostats to give homeowners more control over their energy use. So smart thermostats is, is a big one. Um, you know, we install uh, insulation pipes on hot water heaters, um, seal up attic accesses, um, which is, you know, typically a, a place where you see a lot of energy loss um, in a home. And then there's, you know, a whole series of, well, I guess I should mention, we do uh, HVAC uh, duct sealing. We find that the uh, rate of air leakage in HVAC ducts, duct systems is, uh, you know, really incredible. And so we go in there and make those systems a whole lot more efficient by sealing them up. Um, and then there's a whole series of uh, water saving uh, things that we do from installing low flow air aerators and uh, on sinks and, um, you know, low flow shower heads, um, you know, just a, a bunch of measures around water conservation as well with the realization that not only are you helping a family save water, but you're also helping them save energy because we're often paying to, to heat that water as we consume it. Yeah, no, that, that that's awesome. And I mean, those are just everything that you, <clears throat> that you listen. I mean, just consider run a house without insulation. And I mean, having to just keep the, like, if any, if any of y'all listening that live in the Southeast, particularly the low country knows how hot it gets in August. And I, I can't, I can't imagine the energy bill. I mean, the, on, on running your AC constantly because the, that the house isn't um, energy efficient. So that, I mean, that's just a, uh, I love that. That's just such a, that was when I was first learning about y'all when I first moved to town, that was one of the things that stuck with me. I was like, this is, this is awesome. I mean, that's just, you know, it's, it's helping people in need and it's also good for the planet. Like that, that's a, it's a win-win. Well, you know, Rick, you just tied this into the, the heat issue and um, December of 2021 um, was Charleston's second warmest December on record. And, and we know that the number of extreme heat days here in the South is increasing. Yeah, here in South Carolina, we average somewhere around 25 dangerous heat days a year. Um, but by 2050, that's projected uh, to be as many as 90 days annually. And wow. so when you think of just the number of days in a calendar year where we're experiencing extreme uh, heat is, is crazy. And, um, you know, that is obviously affecting households um, in inefficient uh, you know, homes uh, more than anyone else. It's, you know, affecting their ability to stay cool uh, from a health perspective, uh, but it's also causing these, uh, you know, 
and dramatic uh, energy bills that they're experiencing. Um, so, so yeah, it's you know something that's really, really important that our communities start to get a handle on. How are we going to attack these thousands upon thousands of homes in our community um, that are not prepared for a changing climate? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and you mentioned this earlier, but then on top of that, rates continue to increase. So it's just like it, the heat goes up, the the rates increase, and if they're not prepared for that with by having an a, a energy efficient or weatherized home, then it really is not a, a, a very good outcome. Yeah, and you know, you have to ask yourself, like, you know, what's what's the solution here because. Uh, most of these low-income families can't afford to make repairs and, um, you know, dramatic upgrades in their homes. Um, so, you know, we have to have weatherization services that can go in and offer assistance, but we also really have to pair that with education. Um, so, you know, we have to teach homeowners about all the things that they can do to you know, become empowered to to deal with this issue. And and y'all, I, I I know that y'all don't y'all host some energy efficiency workshops and, and things like that to, to help with that. Yeah, we so we facilitate uh, we call them energy and water conservation workshops, both in person and virtually uh, every month. Our goal uh, this year is to to do two per month. Um, so we have a, a calendar that will soon be going up on our on our website that will show the locations and and dates of those. But you know, for the virtual ones, anyone from anywhere around the world could could join those those workshops. And you know, we try to make them fun and the materials easy to to digest. And um, we really just want to get people engaged. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. Um, so, all right, we'll, we'll come back to, um, I'll just go ahead and make a quick plug. It's sustainabilityinstitutesc.org for anyone who wants to check out that calendar. Um, but we were talking about some of your, uh, you, we talked about the built environment programs. Um, can we talk a little bit about the, the Environmental Conservation Corps and, and, and dive in, in, into that as well? Yeah, you know, this this program's really been at the heart of our organization for, you know, more than 12 years. And um, so we are a uh, national affiliate of AmeriCorps, the core network. And the goal of, we call it the Environmental Conservation Corps, um, is uh, the goal is to create the next generation of climate leaders in our community um, by tackling really critical uh, conservation activities and projects that build coastal resiliency, expand education, um, educational access, you know, improve quality of life in our communities and, and protect our places that are most vulnerable. And so young adults join our AmeriCorps program. It is both service learning and workforce training. They typically serve, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months in our program um, as volunteers. The whole time we're launching them out into the community to do service projects, but they're being trained 
uh, and then they're going out and doing uh, this important conservation work. And, you know, it's just been amazing to me to witness this over the past decade or so. We've had, you know, a little bit more than 150 young adults come through the program uh, who have contributed over 107,000 uh, volunteer hours in our community. Wow. Um, so, you know, yeah, really doing, uh, you know, outstanding levels of work. And so um, we serve several different populations in our program, but um, we specifically recruit at risk, uh, economically disadvantaged young adults that are aged 18 to 24 into our program. And then we provide them with you know, job skills, industry certifications, uh, all around conservation learning experiences. And the goal is to, you know, provide these skills and then help them um, find careers in conservation. And so um, we do the job placement piece as well. Uh, so we are transitioning a young adult from, you know, perhaps someone who doesn't really know what they wanna do, um, into a conservation career. And so the service learning piece of this, the activities that we actually do are, are two different things. One of them is the weatherization, which we just spoke about. So our AmeriCorps members are the ones that actually weatherize these homes and interact with the, these homeowners, you know, under the supervision of a licensed contractor. Um, and then the other side of it is outdoor land conservation activities. And so those focus on habitat restoration and what we call green infrastructure. And so there's a broad range of uh, activities that they do that are all around coastal resilience. Um, and it includes things like uh, constructing uh, living shorelines, doing um, water quality, testing, uh, monitoring, and data collection at specific fresh and saltwater sites around the low country. Um, we build rain gardens uh, as a measure of, um, you know, protecting our stormwater runoff. Uh, we restore ha uh, habitat, we plant trees, um, we do river and beach sweeps. Uh, we go into places and, and remove invasive species and plant native species. So it's a real like broad range of activities, um, but it all represents really important conservation work in our community. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and all of those things that, that, that you just mentioned are, you know, from a, what we were kind of talking about is like, if we're talking about coastal resilience, it's like, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, I start thinking about like what we were, what we were talking about earlier, which was, you know, you've got development happening, right? You've got population increasing. Well, how are we going to preserve some habitat or how are we going to let, you know, there, there, there are ecosystem services, I guess is the best way to describe it, that nature provides. So for, for us in, in Charleston and, and in the low country, to give an example of that, there's things like, you know, barrier islands, outer islands, you know, they can help reduce storm surge from a hurricane, similar to 
hey, you know, wetlands, they're going to help with with, with cleaning water from stormwater runoff. But also when you get development, all these hard surfaces, all that water has to rush out of there. And and what's going with it is very polluted water. So y'all are doing water quality testing. All, All these things are interconnected, I guess, is, is, is my point. And so, I mean, you've got these things that are happening. It's not just climate change. It's, it's biodiversity. It's habitat loss. It's it's all these things, and it's happening everywhere. And at least, you know, sorry to toot y'all's horn, but I'll, but I'll do it and, and say, you know, y'all, y'all are providing solutions on the built environment side, but also equally as important is helping people in need and ensuring that there is another generation of, of leaders who want to uh, protect ultimately the, the low country and the place that they're from and hopefully that they love. Yeah. That, um, Rick, I mean, you, you, you've got it right. Um, what we're really focused on is building this next generation of uh, young conservation leaders. And what we find is that, uh, people in our communities, particularly young people, really get it. Like they, they know that climate change is happening and they are motivated to do something about it. And, you know, they're, they are um, energized at a level uh, that we haven't seen before because they know um, what the dire consequences of a changing climate are for our local environment. Um, doesn't you know, as we said earlier, it, it doesn't take much to see those impacts on, on a daily basis. But, you know, this, uh, you know, next generation of, of young people really gets it at, at a level that I don't think we've seen before. And so providing them with opportunities to get out into their environment and explore what they can do to solve these problems Um is just an awesome experience. And whether someone wants to do that on the built environment side or on the natural environmental side, um, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. There's enough conservation work that needs to be done in our community um, that, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for, for whatever you wanna do. Um, but what we provide at the Sustainability Institute is the mechanism around which uh, young people can explore those opportunities and at the same time, you know, learn skills and serve their community. Yeah. Which, you know, are service to, to your community. I mean, that, that's just, it's invaluable in and of itself. Um, so I, I just, my, my hat's off to, to y'all. I, I love what y'all are doing. I always have when I first moved here, um, it was so easy to get connected to, to like-minded people through this the sustainability institute so anyone who's who's in Charleston I would say um I'm sure Brian can elaborate more on this but I mean you know get connected with with sustainability institute whether it's through their social media channels or their website or newsletters or or anything like that if, if, if that's what you're interested in and, and want to support um, a great organization and and I'm saying this not at all to talk about my company, but I, I, I would encourage other businesses, um, if you're a 1% for the planet member, to consider supporting nonprofits 
like the Sustainability Institute. That's something that I'm proud to, to do through Emerger Strategies. And I think that uh, there's a lot of businesses who, once they are understand that the impact that the sustainability has in our community, um, it's 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 a little bit of a no brainer. Well, whether you're one percent of the planet member or not, but um, if you are, it's a, it's an easy way to 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 give back to an organization that's doing a lot of a lot of positive things in our community. Well, I'll tell you what, um, your support and and the support of businesses like yours, and of course, one percent for the planted members and, and a lot of other businesses really make our work possible. I mean, we would not be able to do what we do without the um, funding support that, that, that we get from, um, from the private sector. And so, you know, just aligning your business interests with, you know, our values and, and our work as a nonprofit uh, can really make powerful things happen in our community. Yeah, well, um, well, Brian, I think that's probably a, a pretty good note to, to wrap on. Um, unless you have anything you want to add, I definitely want to make sure people know where to go to get more information and um, and, and things like that. But um, I'll, ju- I'll let you run with that. But I'll, before I do that, I just want to say thank you so much for, for your time and, and all that y'all do to make Charleston a... Uh, a better place to live and work. Appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you highlighting our work and of course, everything that you're doing for us as, as a board member, uh, helping lead our efforts. So uh, right back at you. We appreciate what you do as well. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we're, um, where is, I think I've got it up. What, what's the website again? I'm sorry. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, www.sustainabilityinstitutesc.org. The SC is for South Carolina. So sustainabilityinstitutesc.org. Perfect. And I'll, I'll, I'll make a shameless uh, plea here, and, or maybe please, not the right word, request and say, I think you can make a donation directly to the website too. Uh, so yeah. don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't be scared to make a contribution. Um, and, uh, and, and help support the work that uh, SI is doing. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Sustainable Angler. Uh, the show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, would really appreciate uh, y'all leaving a rating and review. Uh, that helps just give us a boost and more so more people can find the the podcast. So I appreciate it. Special thanks to Brian Cordell and the Sustainability Institute for everything they're doing to make Charleston a more sustainable place to live and work. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thanks.